I count it a great privilege to be here tonight, and especially whenever your mic breaks. I really doubt if I need it, but maybe I do. So we'll just see here. Is there a technician in there? <laughs> Let's see here. One thing about it, I am not a technician. I can't change a light bulb without at least five or six people helping me. And uh, then I get in trouble. So, uh, huh? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I really do think so. Uh, uh, Dr. Um, uh, Benny, Dr. Benny called me this afternoon uh, from up the cliffs and said, please, please uh, encourage you to get this book. My wife and I, I've done, have you read just about all of it, honey? All okay. And uh, of course, I read that book many, many years ago. I've read it several times and I'm reading it again. Uh, my, um, my, by my spirit, Jonathan, go for it. Get that book. Uh, you, uh, you may not agree with everything in the book, uh, but um, uh, get it and read it and uh, reread it. And I think it'll be a great encouragement to you. I, I have about 325 uh, books in my library on revival. And I've, I've read most of them. Uh, many of them, uh, uh, I found some good things about it and some encouraging things. But then again, uh, I found out this, that uh, prayer is not only the root of revival, it's the fruit of revival. There is no prayer, there will be no revival. And I'm sure that many of you... Um, uh, <laughs> When I stand up and, and, and preach on revival, I, 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 I get a conviction. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, there is a, uh, I get under conviction because I know my heart. I know I don't pray enough. I know, I talked to Dr. Bob Jones Jr. Uh, about our prayer life. And he said to me, he said, Rod, I get so under conviction when I go to these conferences and hear men talk about three and four and maybe five hours of preaching or, or, or praying. Uh, he said, he said, and I get sworn to conviction, I want to crawl to the altar. And then he said this, he said, you know, I don't do that. Well, I thought surely he paid at least 24 hours a day. I mean, you know, a, gi a giant like that. And I, but he said, I don't do that. He said, I find, Rod, that yours... Everybody ought to have a season of prayer. You ought to have a time that you pray. And it ought to be definite, non-negotiable. And you need to have your time with the Lord every day of your life. But he said, we're admonished to pray without ceasing. And he said, I just talk to the Lord all the time. You know, I thought, how true that is. I just talk to the Lord all the time. He said a woman washed the dishes, drive the car, and, and so forth. And I tell you, whenever he drove, I really did pray. Uh, because 
uh, <laughs> you, uh, you must have a time uh, to pray. Now, I've, um, I have something. I want to illustrate something. I believe there is a, a missing ingredient in, uh, in our seeking God for prayer or in prayer or are seeking God uh, for revival. Um, I have made a non-negotiable commitment to my God to meet with him at a certain time early every morning uh, to spend time with him in prayer and in Bible study. I cannot explain to you how drastically that has changed my life. The last five years has been the most rich, most rewarding time that I have had in my almost 50 years of life. Now, there is a misingredient in revival. And I don't think we understand it. I know I did not. And God sent great revival in 1992 at Tabernacle Baptist Church. There's over 600 people saved. And I don't say that boastfully. I want to be very careful. I was just a beneficiary of his mercy. And our, our godly deacon, he said, this is the Lord's doings and it's marvelous in our eyes. Let's keep our hands off of it. And we were afraid to say a word. I saw more young people go to the mission field. I saw larger crowds I saw the largest love offerings I ever had. Uh, I saw all-night prayer meetings. I saw young people changed. I saw young people uh, uh, go to the mission field. I saw young people have their prayer times, uh, come early to school uh, an hour early or 45 minutes early and organize their own prayer meetings and would bring their buddies in and get them saved. Moms and dads would call and say, what's happened to my child? Uh, I don't have to get on him to make up his room. Uh, he doesn't, uh, uh, he, he comes and asks me, what can I do to help? He's got the sweetest spirit. What's happening? What's happening? Well, we've just, uh, God visited our ministry, and it went that way every, uh, for over six months. Uh, I baptized, and that's uh, uh, 90 to 100 a Sunday, just baptizing people, getting saved, getting saved, counseling, and, and, and life's changed. And those three young men, I believe I told you this last Wednesday, Wednesday night a week ago, those three young men who came to me and asked me, can we have an hour of prayer before school starts. Will you give us a room? And I said, we certainly will. You know where those three young men are? Two graduated from Bob Jones and are in the mission field, and one graduated from our seminary and is a pastor. Those young men said, we don't want to be remembered for the guys who can put the ball through the hoop. We want to be remembered for guys who love the Lord and meant business with the Lord. Now, I think there is a missing ingredient in this matter of prayer. And I'm going to talk to you about the misingredients. My wife is not sick very often. But whenever she is sick, I mean everything shuts down. I mean positively everything. I get my can opener out. And then I start opening cans. And I, uh, 
Uh, I'll start uh, cooking rice, and I'll do, and, and, I'll, I, I, and I'm learning. I, I didn't know you couldn't, the more water you add to your rice, the more rice you have, you know. And, and I was trying to help one of my deacons who was sick and making some rice soup. And, and as I, uh, I would uh, uh, I'd pour water in it, and the first thing I knew, I'd have a full, uh, full, uh, a full pot of rice. So I'd get me another pot, and then uh, I'd put some more water in it. And then I'd have, I had five or six pots of rice all over the table because the more I would add, the more rice that I had. Well, I was learning. Good. You've got to learn, you know. And, and, and I was learning. I never will forget the time. My wife was sick. We had, uh, uh, she, I was going to fix the kids something. She had uh, um, stove top stuffing. Now, any dummy knows if it says stove top stuffing, you cook it on top of the stove. Amen? So I get me a, I get me a glass container and I turn the eye on, on the stove and I fill up, put the, uh, all of the ingredients in the, uh, in the container and I set it on the eye uh, uh, of the stove and it, uh, I went off to do something and after a while I heard the, uh, the worst explosion you've ever heard in your life. And I went in and there was, um, you, you guessed it, I mean, the stuffing, the chicken, that stuffing was all over the kitchen. He had exploded. The glass had, had broken and uh, it had exploded. My wife said, no, honey, no, you never put anything hot like that on the eye of a stove. Well, I said, it said stove top stuffing. And I figured you put it on top of the stove. She said, do you, well, if you would read the instructions. Well, I, um, She's sick again. Not sick very often, and thank the Lord, because I, I'd starve to death. But she, she, was sick, she was sick again. So I thought, I will make some biscuits. Anybody can make biscuits. Right? Wrong. I mean, anybody can make biscuits. So I, uh, I'll never forget, I uh, got, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, got everything down, got some flour, and... and uh, I got the uh, ingredients down, and I've got it in. Poured me some water in. I stirred it all up, and stirred it all up, and put it in, and got me this uh, sweetest, little old round uh, thing, and just dobbed them on top of a, a pan, and and put them back in the oven, and set the oven, and uh, whenever um, they came out, they were harder than bricks. I mean, they would have, you could have sailed them across the lake and they just glistened across. They were about that big around and they, they, uh, they were beautiful. I thought they were beautiful. But when I started to bite into one, I almost lost a crown. It was so hard that I just about broke a tooth off. Well, I said, uh, my boys, God bless them. They're cards and they need to be dealt with, I'll tell you that. But anyhow, uh, they uh, um, got some of those biscuits. And um, they made me a plaque. Now, this plaque is 26 years old, and I have cherished it. They made me a plaque, and they put one of my biscuits <laughs> on the plaque. I don't know if you can see it or not, but that is a tombstone. <laughs> That's the head of a tombstone. And they took and decoupaged one of my biscuits. And, and I, I, I said, and they, and they presented it to me. And I said, well, honey, I don't understand. What in the world did I do wrong? 
She said, well, tell me, what did you do? I said, well, she said, did you put any bacon powder in it? I said, bacon powder? I didn't know you were supposed to put bacon powder in biscuit. She said, honey, you left out the main ingredients, baking powder. So my boys made me one of those biscuits. That biscuit is 26 years old. (laughs) Beautiful, isn't it? Hard as a rock. And they wrote on the bottom of that tombstone, and they said, made in the kitchen of Pastor Bell, the world's greatest biscuit maker. If you, uh, uh, dear, dear Dad, if you want us to live, please stick to preaching and stay out of the kitchen. Well, now what I did wrong, I had no idea, but I left the main ingredients out of baking biscuits. I hadn't, I did not realize that you had to have baking uh, powder. How do you know? Baking powder. I had to have baking powder. So my wife's going to give me a lesson on homiletics, uh, uh, on the uh, cooking. And she said, now, honey, baking powder contains two basic elements. And there is a cream of tartar, she said, which is uh, an acid, uh, uh, and it, it's made from the residue of grapes. And then she said there is another, it, and there's a sodium that comes from a, a seaweed. Good, you have to know all this before you can bake a biscuit. And she said, when you mix all this up, and it comes in contact with the water, it comes a, a uh, carbohydrate. Uh, yeah. And then she said this, and I wrote it down. She said, and it, there's little air pockets, and it creates, uh, in the, where there's no little air pocket, it creates little air pockets. Then it is heated, and when the heat hits it, it expands and creates steam and causes steam to cause the biscuit to rise. My, isn't that ingenious? Oh, hey, that's wonderful. I mean, uh, and I thought, there is a sermon right there. I don't know all, all, all it is about it, but there is a sermon. But I simply said all that to say this. I, as I believe with all my heart that missing ingredients in revival is prayer. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will heal their land. Now, you know and I know that revival is not mentioned in that verse of Scripture. But revival is mentioned 16 times in the Old Testament, two times in the New Testament. And revival means to rekindle the fire. And the Old Testament is filled with revival. Matter of fact, Jonathan Edwards made this statement. He said that the history of redemption is a history of revival. I wonder why it is that we in 
fundamental Bible-believing Christianity are so afraid of the term revival. I'm going to tell you why. We are afraid because the Charismatics has prostituted the blessed Spirit of God, and there is so much confusion, laughing revivals, uh, uh, barking like dog revivals, uh, uh, all kind of foolish nonsense, and Satan wants uh, uh, to keep God-fearing people away uh, from revival. And I'm simply saying to you that God did more in 30 seconds at Tabernacle Baptist Church than I, have, I did in 30 years. Think about it. I want to talk to you tonight on the missing ingredients in revival of praying. The missing ingredients in revival praying. Do you really want revival? Let me ask you this question. Do you really feel you need revival? I spoke a Wednesday night, a week ago here, on the thirst for revival. There are some prerequisites. You can't create that thirst. That thirst comes from God. But I'm going to speak to you on what initiates the thirst. And it's basically two things. Prayer and Bible study. Prayer and Bible study. And as you pray and study your Bible and apply the Word of God, and the Spirit of God creates a thirst in your heart, that's the deep crying unto the deep. That's the depths of a man's soul where the Spirit of God dwells. And he searches the will of God. And he makes groanings which cannot be uttered. In Romans, and that groaning, the old Puritans called that groaning uh, that cannot be uttered, that groaning of the soul. You know what they call that? They call that uh, the rumbling of the soul. It's not talking about an unknown tongue. It's talking about a yearning for that God that dwells in the depths of the eternal soul, crying out to the deep of an eternal God that God would revive us again. And David was a man after God's own heart. But really it was God in David's heart crying after God. Now, we must submit to that. But God wants us to learn to pray. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you, every morning at 5 o'clock, there's a time that I must get alone with my God and get into the book and be able to have a time of fellowship and a time of prayer uh, with Him. Now, what is this, what is this, uh, this uh, element of prayer? Look at... Uh, 2 Chronicles 7, and look at for, uh, verse 14. If, that is a condition. Now, a lot of people, the reason we don't hunger and thirst after revival, we don't know that we need a hunger and thirst. We're satisfied. We are satisfied with our spiritual condition. And I ask you, are you satisfied with your spiritual condition? Am I satisfied with my spiritual condition? Of course not. And you're not either. 
If you're honest with yourself. Now, if you think you are, you are so filled with pride, it's running out your ears. You and I are not satisfied. We drink of the water, and the more we drink of the water, uh, the more thirsty we become, and the more uh, thirsty we become, the more we drink of the water, and we'll never be satisfied completely. And the psalmist said, I'll be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. So, my friends, if that's a condition, if, if, what kind of prayer life do we really have? at Faith Baptist Church? Do we really want revival? Do you really want revival? Do you really want His Spirit to control your life this hour? All repent and turn to Jesus. Seek His face and humbly pray. Do you really want revival? Are you willing to obey? Do we really want revival? If my people, as I look at that, that's a possessive pronoun, isn't it? My people. See, revival is only for God's people. Revival is what God does in His church. Evangelism is what God does through His church. Once revival comes in His church, then it goes out through His church. And revival is for God's people. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Revival is something that God wants to give his people. And God wants to give revival to his people far more than his people want it. I don't know how many times that Dr. Betty wants me to speak on Wednesday night, but he said every time you speak, I want you to speak on revival. But God wants to send revival. And I want to deal, first of all, with the missing ingredients in personal revival. See, I believe there's personal revival. I believe there's family revival. I believe there's church revival. I believe there's community revival. I believe there's regional revival. I believe that there is national revival. If you'll read history, you'll find that there is. And my people, that's God's people, which are called by my name. Which are called by my name. That word call means that, that they're identified. They are identified by their occupation, by my name, by the nature and the character of God. They look like God, they act like God, they talk like God. These are a people who are God's people. If my people which are called by my name shall, here we are, humble themselves. Humble themselves. What does it mean to humble yourself? Humble ourselves. If we humble, he says, those that humble themselves shall be exalted. Humble yourself. I want to say this, as I have tried to study, and I found out that you will never get a proper opinion of yourself until you have a proper opinion of your God. 
When Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah 6, high and lifted up, he cried out, Woe is me! Here these uh, holy seraphims, they, they refuse to look upon, the, uh, upon God. Uh, these holy heavenly creatures refuse to look upon God. And they cried out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And then Isaiah saw the holiness of God, and then he said, Woe is me! For the first five chapters, he had been pronouncing woe upon himself. But now when he saw the holiness of God, he pronounces woe upon himself. He saw God in his proper perspective, who God was, and then he saw himself. He said, and that word, uh, uh, woe is me, I am undone. That word undone means I've come loose at the seams. Uh, cut me off, I'm cut off. I am a damned, uh, 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 lost sinner. That's whenever we see God in His holiness, see Him in who He really is, then we see ourselves as who we really are. Humble ourselves. Remember John the Baptist as he was baptizing down the river Jericho? I could see it in my mind's eye. John was baptizing. And off in the distance came the Lord Jesus walking down the dusty trail. And John reaches up that straight finger, water dripping from his elbow. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now he got the proper opinion of the nature and the character of God. He recognized that Jesus Christ, behold, the Lamb of God. He recognized he was God's Lamb. And he recognized the Lamb was going to be slain. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away. He recognized the finished work upon the cross that this Lamb was going to perform. That he's going to take away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He saw God in his proper uh, position, he saw God, who for God, who God really was, and he had the proper opinion of Jesus, that he was God. And then what happened to John the Baptist? He said, I'm not even worthy to unloose the laces of his sandal feet. It gave him the proper opinion. It humbled him. He got the proper opinion of the nature and the character of God. Then he had the proper opinion of himself. That's what humble means. It's the opposite of pride. And humble yourself. I need you, Lord. We need revival. Faith Baptist Church needs revival. Rod Bell needs revival. Every individual family here needs revival. I need revival. It's not the deacon nor the preacher, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord. I'm the, I'm the one that needs revival. And until we make a non-negotiable commitment to be alone with our God... And I'm going to speak about this later and ask God to uh, 
Try me, search me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Put your finger on it, and as you read and study the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and you may have to go to people and make some restitutions, and, and you may have, I had people who got caught up on their tithe. I, they got caught up on God's tithe. They'd been stealing from God. I had people who had been lying about one another, and they went to them and told them. They had been gossiping about each other. They had been gossiping about the pastor. They had to, to humble themselves and get things right with, between them and the person. They had to do that. God will not send revival. And you know what? The young people, the, 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 the precious young people in our church were the ones that were so honest and open to one another and, 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 and going and confessing to the teacher uh, that they had cheated on their exams uh, and, and coming clean. That's when God begins to create a thirst in our heart. And he said, listen, he that humbles himself and prays, prays, and seek my face. I'm going to come back to the word pray and seek my face. I believe that simply means seek the glory of God because the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Get to know Him and let everything be done for Him. Keep your hands off the glory. Face Him. Seek His face. And here it is. And turn from their sin. Turn from their wicked ways. Oh, we are fundamentally independent Baptists, Brother Rod. Come on. We live in Greenville, South Carolina. I mean, we're the Bible belt. We're the buckle on the belt, buddy. Come on. You know, we know, we know our theology. Good night. We know, we even know the books of the Bible. I mean, we are, we are, yeah. And I never wanted to come to Greenville when I retired. I never wanted to come to Greenville. I said, anywhere but Greenville. <laughs> but God put me here. God put Lenore and I here. Because I said, honey, I don't want to sit, soak, and sour. I can't do that. I can't take it in and take it in and take it in and never give it out, never give it out, never give it out. I've got, I, I can't do that. And if there's ever a place that needs revival, Greenville, South Carolina needs revival. And I know that this fellow needs revival. So seek my face. Humble himself. Seek my face. Turn from the wicked ways. Have you ever asked the Lord to turn to search light the Word of God upon you that you might see yourself as He sees you? And as you begin to read the Scriptures and you begin to meditate upon the Word and He begins to point, He begins to nudge your soul and He begins to bring things to your mind that you said and things that you did and, place, and, and, and your exaggerations and your lie. You say, well, that's just a little white lie. It's a, who gave you a paintbrush? Come on. Folks, we need to come clean with God. 
if God's going to send revival and deal with sin. The thing that clogs up the pipe of blessing is sin. What sin was it that sent the Savior to the tree? Adam disobeyed God. Disobedience and partook of the fruit. Oh, that's such a small sin. Sin. If we ever get the proper concept of sin and see what sin has done to my Lord and done to our God and done to our God's creation, you see, I simply believe this. I believe it with all my heart that God wants to send revival a whole lot worse than we want it. Listen to this. Turn to, let me make a couple applications and I'll close. Look at this. Turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29. And listen to what it says. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, and the secret things belongs unto our God. I'd like for our fellows who like to debate on Calvinism get a hold of that. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us. And not only to us, but our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Would you underline the word revealed? Underline the word revealed. That simply means promises. God has revealed promises. And Dr. John L. Rice put out a good book, one I've read it several times, on prayer, asking and receiving. Ezekiel 36 says, he said, I will do this for you, thus saith the Lord. I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel. God said, I, listen, God said, I'm going to do this for you, but I want you to ask me for it. God wants us to pray. God wants our communion. God wants us uh, to talk with him. And turn over. I want you to read that. I want you to see that. Uh, turn to Ezekiel and, and, and get a hold of uh, uh, the, the context of this passage. In, in Ezekiel, in verse 35, uh, in Ezekiel 36, 35, and they said, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities are become fenced and inhabited. And then the, uh, the heathen that are left around about you shall know that I, the Lord, built and uh, built the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. God's going to get the glory. And I, the Lord, have spoken it. I will do it. God said, I'm going to do this. Look at verse 37. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this that I'm going to do be inquired of you by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. God said, I'm going to do it. I will do it, but I want you to ask me for it. I want you to pray for it. God wants our prayers. God wants our, uh, our uh, fellowship. Now, I, I want you to turn to one more passage of Scripture. Uh, turn with me uh, to, um, uh, let's look at Psalm 39. I have several passages here, but let's, let's look at Psalm 39. 
in Psalm 31, 19. In Psalm 31, 19, look, look what it says. In Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how great, this is David praying. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of men. Thou shalt keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of the tongues. But I want you to look at something. Look with me at that phrase, thou hast laid up for them. Thou hast laid up for them. In other words, God has reserved in heaven for his own children that which belongs to them. That phrase laid up literally could be translated storehouse or treasure. God's laid it up. And what's later? His goodness, his untold riches, his mercy, uh, his grace, his love, his joy, his peace, just as a father would take and, uh, and lay up a, a sum of money or a, a prize for his children and write on each bag the name uh, Rod Bell. This portion, this package belongs to Rod Bell. By what right? By what right does a child have, uh, a child of God have to such riches? By what right? By faith in the Son of God. I have become joint heir with everything that God has. I'm his child. And I have every right through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus that uh, he made me his child and he made me his heir. And we are joint heirs with everything he has. Uh, and and what, are the, what, are, what, are, is, what are his goodnesses? Has David overstated this? This abundance, this treasure? Well, let's ask him. Look at verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me. David said, I saw his marvelous kindness in this strong city. David said, I, I asked him. Uh, and, and he said, he hath shown me. He has that which was laid up, his power and his beauty. Uh, and look at this word wrought, which thou has wrought. That word wrought is an interesting word. And I like word studies. And that word wrought means the ability to perform. He said, I not only laid something up for you, and I have it for you, but I have it designed and I have the instructions uh, and I'm able to, to, uh, to deliver it to you. Uh, he's not only has it laid up and, and has our name on it and wants us to claim it, but um, he gives us the instructions on how to operate it. There's not a daddy here that has not bought a Christmas gift and tried to put it together on Christmas Eve. And your wife said, if you'll follow the instructions... It'll be a whole lot easier. And you work and you work and you work and you skin your knuckles and you almost lose your temper and you do everything trying to put the thing together. And about two or three o'clock in the morning, you finally get the last screw in. And then, boy, you look, here it is. It's according to the instruction. And you know something? All of a sudden, you, 
flip a switch. You guessed it, no batteries. <laughs> There's no batteries. You know what God's saying with this word? God, what God is saying? God said, uh, when you ask for it, and he gives you the instructions, uh, he is able to perform uh, and uh, how to operate it and ha- uh, how to work in your life. God blesses the gift, and, does, and, and it does not come without batteries. God uh, gives you what he has laid in store for you. Ask, and you shall receive. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. Did God mean that? Did God mean that? God answers prayer. But if we regard iniquity in our heart, God will not hear us. You see, when God created man, he created him in the Garden of Eden on the condition, with a condition. And that condition was that he obey. And when Adam refused to obey, and he sinned, you see, God is sovereign, man is responsible. Man is responsible to obey. And God in his sovereignty has... um, limited himself to work through in his great redemptive work through the obedience of man. And God uses his church. God uses his redeemed people. In other words, he says, if you'll give, I'll give to you. If you'll confess, I'll forgive. If you'll go, I'll go with you. Call upon me, and I will answer thee. God's looking for a man or a woman or a young person who will just take God at his word and say, God, I'm taking you at your word. Elijah, a great example of uh, of prayer, and he was a man subject like as we are, but uh, he prayed, and God blessed Elijah and sent the rain on Israel. But Elijah had to pray. If the Jews are to be delivered from captivity, God had promised 70 years, but Daniel had to pray. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Call upon me and I'll answer thee. And one of my favorites is Luke eleven thirteen. Luke eleven thirteen. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, and you shall. I'll answer thee. You know, and then he goes on in verse 13, he says, and I will give the Holy Spirit to those that ask thee. The Holy Spirit had not been given and that word, there's no article there. The Holy Spirit. He give the essence and the power of the Holy Spirit to those that ask thee. Acts says, he gives the Spirit of God to those that obey him. That's why they were in the upper room. They were in the upper room and they continued there in obedience, praying. Believing God because he had promised he would send 
the Comforter. And he had told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they, they were desperate because they had just crucified the Lord of glory. And they were behind locked doors. And he was, uh, they, they were desperate, but they believed God. And they had an insurmountable task to preach the gospel to every creature. And they said, oh, God, we can't do this. And he said, and ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be martyrs unto me. Witnesses. You know there's a whole lot of difference in a witness and a lawyer. A witness just tells what he knows to be true, and a lawyer argues the case. The Holy Spirit wants us to be obedient and tell what we know to be true. But we are so timid and we are so shy, we are so afraid, and the fear of man brings a snare that we don't, we don't uh, pray. And he said, you go, I'll go with you. And oh, how many times I have claimed that. Go, and I will go with you. Call, and I will answer thee. If my people, which are called by my name, you want revival? shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn the searchlight, the word of God, upon us, Lord, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. I challenge you, get up in the morning and get before God and say, Lord, put your finger on sin in my life. Show me where I've done a brother wrong. Or I have said something that wasn't exactly right. Or I have said something that did not edify that brother or that sister. Lord, you put your finger on it, and I will get it right. That's the cost of revival. That takes humility. That takes prayer. And you can't do that in the flesh. You can't do that in the right spirit unless you humble yourself and pray. And then the Holy Spirit, oh, what joy it is to get your things, your heart right with your brother or your sister. My service for God has been barren and dry and barren. It shall remain until I hear the sound of abundance of rain. Elisha would have never heard the sound of abundance of rain had he not prayed in faith, believing, and taking God at his word. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're going to sing just one stanza. I don't even know that it would be necessary to sing it uh, for you. Uh, I don't want to put on a show. I don't want people coming to the altar. I want God to do the work. And if you get that book, My Spirit, before you leave here, God will, God's Spirit will do the work. With her heads bowed and her eyes closed, what are we going to sing, Brother Tim? 528, do you really want revival? 528, do you really want revival? Let's sing that. 528, do you really want revival? Sing it, brother.